are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. We want to start this episode with a disclaimer. If you haven't listened to the part one of this conversation, we highly recommend going back and doing so before diving into this episode. There is a lot of important context given in part one, without which part two will make a lot less sense. It's also worth reiterating: the conversations we are releasing today are really special. How often do former factory management and a union leader get to sit down for a candid conversation? And the fact that this conversation is so candid and succeeds at getting beyond stereotypes is really a credit to Kong Atet. Atet started out in the fashion industry as a factory worker and is now the president of the Coalition of Cambodian Apparel Workers Democratic Union, which he refers to by its acronym SICADU. His big picture take on relationships between factory management and workers is nuanced, insightful, and disarmingly open. And as if all this weren't special enough, we're also joined by Dr. Mark Anner. Mark is a professor of labor and employment relations and director at the Center for Global Workers' Rights. He's also the author of the report "Abandoned: The Impact of COVID-19 on Workers and Businesses at the Bottom of the Global Garment Supply Chain." Both Atet and Mark were panelists on the sixth edition of Jazz Fabric Online Seminar Series called "Getting Through the Crisis Together." Asian dialogues on sustainability in the textile and garment industry. During that webinar, Mark suggests that workers and factory management are fighting over an increasingly small size of the pie, so to speak, and that instead of fighting over their respective shares, workers and managers should be collaborating to increase the size of the piece that they must share. In part one, Mark shared some context. How big exactly is the piece of the pie we're talking about, and what's his dream scenario for what worker and factory management collaboration should look like? We then turn to Kim, in her capacity as a former factory manager, and Atet in his capacity as union leader. Is Mark's vision crazy? And how do narratives that pit workers and factory managers against each other? End up inadvertently hurting the cause. In this episode, we get into the details. What exactly blocked Kim's trust in workers and unions when she was a factory manager? What should or could workers and factory managers each do to gain each other's trust? We also get into the exhaustion that pervades all levels of the fashion industry, and how the squeeze from the top manifests itself on the factory floor. And in the relationship between workers and management, our episodes this week are thanks to our collaboration with GIZ Fabric. The Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry," check out the links we've put in our show notes. 
And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. When I hear Mark, I was so shocked to hear the pie is so tiny. And when I hear Atet, I totally agree. I totally agree with his description. In this case, suppliers and the workers are just chasing each other along the circle. There is no way out, especially if you know they are fighting for just within the 4% of the pie. Then I also totally agree with Atet that if you don't include worker unions, the representative of workers, from the beginning of the negotiation, how can you ensure or how can you win the trust from the workers to say, don't worry, we are going to bring back a bigger piece of pie and we are going to share with you. This is really hard. If you don't include workers' representatives, it is very hard to make them believe that. But uh, I also understand, Kim, what you said when you say you became nervous. I am thinking right now, this is about trust, but I'm thinking if we imagine this is a forest, I don't think trust is a tree you need to plant. I believe you have all sorts of seeds in the soil already, and you have the seed of trust in the soil already. So maybe the question is, what blocks trust? I mean, what makes you, Kim, as a factory manager at the first place? What blocks your trust about your, your workers, let's say? And Atet, as a worker union, leader at the first place what makes you feel you just cannot trust this person it's not like there's no trust at all it's not like from day one you guys hate each other kim so what blocks you trust yeah. at the very beginning i'll go first yeah you go first <laughs> <laughs> i'll go first because you know i'm i'm very okay this is something i have struggled to talk about or to find a way to talk about because I think, especially as a factory manager, the moment you say something about like not trusting workers or not trusting unions, that you are sort of branded as anti-worker and you're sort of dismissed. And I'm also very cognizant. I, re I really recognize that one of the reasons, although I have struggled to talk about it, that one of the reasons that I am able to talk about it more is because people give me the benefit of the doubt because I'm a woman, because I'm white, because I have a master's degree in human rights. Um, and so I just want to share, like when I moved to Cambodia and became a garment factory manager, I kind of, I really struggled with this title. I, you know, would qualify it to people back home. I would say, oh, I'm a manager of a sustainable factory or a good factory or, you know, whatever. I, I didn't want to, to, to sort of because for me, having grown up, you know, in the places that I grew up, the only narrative I ever had access to of, about factory managers was like the sweatshop runner, you know, the the slave driver, so to speak. And so when I arrived in Cambodia to work as a garment factory manager, and I only, I didn't realize this at the time, but I realized it later. I sort of in my head saw my job as like kind of in opposition to that stereotype. And that I sort of, you know, that I could do it better, that I could have this great relationship with my workers, that I was going to earn their trust, that we were going to, you know, have a really warm, positive relationship. And when that didn't happen, that was really hard for me because 
the reality is, and I've written about this, and we talked about this at length um, in the podcast on on episode 24, but the reality was that, especially in the second factory that I worked for, I had a very difficult relationship with my staff. And they did a lot of things that just frankly puzzled me that I couldn't, I struggled to make sense of. And I'll just give some examples. Um, But, you know, I had employees who seemed like, and I don't know if this was true or not, it's impossible to know what was exactly going on in people's heads, but who seemed like they were intentionally trying to get fired because they thought it would lead to compensation, even though, you know, and you can choose to believe me or not, but even though, you know, we were paying good wages, we were following the Cambodian labor law, you know, I would... I, I, my reaction to this kind of behavior was to kind of like pull up pictures of the of our facility and to try and convince people how great our factory was. But I quickly sort of realized that by doing that, basically what I was saying was that that my colleagues were acting irrationally, that they didn't know what was good for them, which also is not like really what I wanted to say. It's quite patronizing, um, and so. And I had more, you know, other experiences. On my very first day on the job, I had an illegal strike. I had workers who refused to work after their man- manager was suspended for some threatening behavior. And again, I've written about it at length and also talked about it on the podcast. So we'll, I'll include links to that as opposed to reiterating all the details here. But I didn't understand why these workers on the production floor were supporting their manager to the point that they were jeopardizing their own jobs because when he had done something that was very obviously threatening and in my mind was very clearly going to lead to him being fired, why would they align themselves with somebody who was, in my view, like a lost cause, right? Had had won, had lost the battle. And so later I found out that, you know, he had promised his team, the production floor workers, certain things that he wasn't weren't actually within his power to promise. He said that he had big connections to the Ministry of Labor. And in hindsight, I think maybe those workers on the production floor perceived that this manager's power was sort of better, stronger than mine. Um, From Kim's description, it sounds like those workers, sometimes they will do something, obviously will get them fired. And I want to understand why, for instance, I also experienced similar things. For instance, some workers will suddenly disappear. I mean, they just don't come to work. And no matter HR or the factory management or their colleagues call them, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't call back. And sometimes I have colleagues went to visit the home of that worker and the parents, even the parents don't, didn't know where he went. So, I think they, they knew quite well if they just went disappear like that for a week or even longer, they will get fired, obviously. But why they do that? And my second question is from Kim's description, I have a feeling it sounds like they're playing a power game and they believe they have something can leverage the power. So, for instance, can can get a bigger position. That's why they promise something to their team or they feel they can, for instance, kick Kim away because she's a white woman manager. <laughs> Maybe they want a command manager. <laughs> so they think it's like a power game, you know, they believe they have something so they can 
kick the manager. They don't like kick them away. And is that true? That some, I mean, workers are not not like victims in 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 the usual narrative, and they can sometimes play some power games. And they so that that's my question. I share your 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 frustration. I, I I agree that it is existing. It is existing. This kind of story, I think it is there. So no no doubt about that. No, I mean no no objection about that. But my experience is what, why where it came from. First, it came from awareness. Awareness of what? Awareness about what is wrong and what is right. For example, I give you about some of my colleagues, some of my workers, they, they went on strike and they, they, they demand to employer to fire them. And then uh, because they expect compensation. So this is uh, absolutely unlawful. It is true. It's a power game, right? But in a in a big group of workers, I mean, they don't they don't realize this is an illegal. This is a unlawful. So in between is 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 also the 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 uh, power game inside, but not not the genuine power game of the you know uh, whole group of workers. It's it's like play by a group of small uh, unions mm. or small you know bad people which is this is the big challenge uh, uh, to to the independent union also so another group another area that i would say is we need, we need to have a strong union organization like a strong employer association we cannot have the very up, how to say up opportunate or or like you know i don't know how to describe in English, but like, let's say, uh, like, like, uh, mm-hmm. when they, when, when, when the strong institution is there, strong union organization, strong union, uh, employer associations there, so they can define what, what is, what is right and what is wrong. That, 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 that's what happened in Sikadu. So when our member went on strike and asking for company to dismiss them, so we call we call them, and then we say this is not acceptable, and this is not the right way to do. Sometimes they resign from from uh, us. Some sometimes they also uh, act very uh, you know violent and very disrespectful to us. So 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 for me, it's it's a, 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 a and a big group of awareness and a strong organization is 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 the solution. And and uh, uh, for example, uh, for for employer association too, when when they saw the their supplier or their their, their member uh, dismiss uh, unlawful like the unlawful dismissal, so they have to be brave, and they not always depend on on the third party all the time, right? That they should be more resilient. They should be more, you know, how to say it, independent on. So, so to to respond uh, uh, to 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 the 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 obstacle that they face, Sikidu have eighty about eighty factory, 
And SIKADU stands for the the Coalition of Cambodian Apparel Workers Democratic Union, which is the union that um, Atet is the president of. Uh, along the way, some drop off during COVID, before COVID. <laughs> so we have, <laughs> we have only like one or two factory behave like that. Right? So they fail. At the end, they fail. You know? So, so, so that is the, the thing. I think, in, so start with the strong awareness of the workers, strong in institution, and then start with, with the, uh, you know, like with the area that, that uh, uh, lead, lead to, you know, like good practices. Like start with the good practices. Because you, you have to understand, in Cambodia, we have more than 100 generations. And, and then they divide into three uh, political trends, ideology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a big group, a big group of, of 100 is affiliate or maybe collaborate with the uh, you know, political ruling party. And, and I mean, that is their choice. And you know, a small group aligned with opposition party. And a small group aligned with uh, independence and work for the interests of worker. If you count how many in 100, I would say uh, 95. 95 is uh, aligned with, with, with uh, the, the, you know, they support in principle or, 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 or yeah, with the ruling party. So, so, so the, 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 the other part is they somehow uh, uh, work, you know, directly or indirectly with, with, with uh, opposition party. So, so mm-hmm. this is a, this is the real trend. So I don't deny that it's happened only in the area of other side, but, but to me, uh, if we, if we have a strong organization, of workers and employer, and then we can. I think this to me the, the issue that you raise is it's very. I think it's very small, but it's very. Uh, what do you call? How to say it? Uh, conf- uh, we need to really pay attention. But to my mm-hmm. perspective, this is a very yeah. minor issue when we have a strong union and, and strong employer association. You know. Before I moved to Cambodia, I sort of assumed that like protection from a fundamentally precarious human existence and a job were synonymous, were one and the same. The only way to, you know, as a human being to protect yourself from your own fundamentally human fragility is to get a job. And I think in a lot of cultures, especially Western cultures, that's sort of like, you know, I think a built-in assumption from a very early age. What do you do when you grow up? You get a job. And what I started to question in Cambodia was because the rule of law seemed to be not as strong, if maybe my colleagues didn't really perceive a job to be the thing that was going to... uh solve all their problems and that the a, a more effective strategy and this sort of speaks to what you were saying at that about the fact that there are so many unions in Cambodia that are not independent and that are tied to various political parties 
I sort of started to wonder whether sort of affiliation with political power sort of indirectly through a union was maybe seen as a more effective strategy over the long term for kind of ensuring that your human fragility, that your human needs are met. And as a garment factory manager, like, then that sort of made me think like, okay, well, then what is my power at this table? If I'm not offering something that people even really like want that much or don't want that much relative to other things, then, you know, where does that leave me in terms of like, because I think you can only enter a conversation and trust each other if you both trust that like you want the same thing, that you want the company, in this case, the company to survive. Because if the company survives and does well, it's better for everyone. And I didn't have that trust. I think because even the ruling party, even the you know, uh, opposition party, they are not guiding the people to violate the law and violate the stem mm-hmm. internet. So they don't. This is very individual, you know, very individual. Yes, yeah, it's issue. individuals. Yeah. Because, yeah. because yeah. you know, at the end, at the end, if you if you commit any illegal act, it's your own, it's your own pay, it's your own check, right? It's your own responsibility. But so, not if you know someone in government who's going to protect you. No, I mean, that is the small, small, uh, toy, toy, toy. they can protect uh, you. Small problem. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. They can protect you uh, when it's still a small problem, right? When mm. it came to the bigger public problem, no, I don't think so. Unless you are really close to, you know, you know, the, the most. Yeah. So yeah. if you do something minor, it, it, okay. But not if you do something really serious. Yes. 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 Okay. So, so to me, to me, I think you affiliate with any political party or any uh, other group. It doesn't matter. You have to behave in your own industrial relation. You have to behave in your own professional. So no, nobody allow that you are linked with this guy, linked with this guy, and then you can commit uh, illegal thing. So that is your own, mm-hmm. you know, problem. To me, it's it's always like that. But but you know, I understand your point. When it when it come to a you know like like not not a really serious misconduct. So it so they they play with with the room that they can they can play. It, yeah. You know. Yes. So so then yeah. it it get very very uh, complicated uh, uh, for the for the decision and for the what you call a punishment or you know do anything on these people. So for me, uh, like like I I I think it it's go back to to the uh, strong and genuine the worker organization and the employer associate uh, uh, organization again. It's always go back to that. If if the if the the majority of of those group will very strong, not just solve the problem. How to say it? Uh, solve the immediate problem like you, you are not looking mm-hmm. for a long term a short term solution that mm-hmm. you put in that mm-hmm. so the short term solution if oh yeah this guy 
uh, this union uh, making trouble, so let's pay them, okay? And then they, they will shut mm-hmm. up. And then it became, it became uh, you know, like, like, how to say, a sweet tea honey, right? Then, then, it's, yeah. it's, then it's create a, a very, how to say, it's sticky. Yeah. You, 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 cannot, you cannot go from that way. So and, to me, and people get used to that sweetness. Yeah, so that's why uh, the both both worker and the employer, we should not. I, I would put in this way, like creating a true, like so we have a gap, like here, you debate, yeah, you know, the the supplier debate and the worker debate, but the true is in in the middle, right? So then it's our job, the strong the strong organization need to work very hard to find. Both that agree, it is true and it it benefit mm. all of us. Yeah, yeah. No, this is just a fascinating um, discussion, <laughs> and you know, for a couple of reasons. One is because almost everything you've described, I've seen in in Latin America where I lived. So the question becomes: Why is it happening not just in Cambodia? It's happening in Honduras. It's happening in Guatemala. It's happening in El Salvador, Nicaragua. So why do these patterns? repeat themselves. So I thought maybe I'd share some. Yes, please. From that. So one is, you know, I know it's, it's different. You're getting to other questions, the union role, workers quitting. So I, I do a lot of interviews with workers. I go to their homes and neighborhoods and play. And, and, and w- one interview that really stuck in my head, a woman said to me, um, and it starts, and this is the important part, I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely burnt out doing 12-hour shifts, six days a week with very, very intense production quotas. And she says to me, I'm going to do something to get fired. Mm-hmm. And it was very clever because she was looking for a way to get fired where she'll get severance. And then I started that, yeah. realizing, so I, I became very curious. So I started talking. I started talking to a lot of young women about this. And, and I'll add this too. It works when there's a tight labor market. So these women are very, you know, very clever in that regard. So they're burnt out. In El Salvador, I don't know, Cambodia, you would get one month severance for every year worked. Yeah. So they would say after three years, they're burnt out. They're at this inhumane pace of production. They're doing 12-hour shifts. They feel like their bodies are just, just drained. So I'll do something to get fired. I'll get three months salary. I'll go back to my village and recover. And they, they, even in Spanish, they say, recargar las pilas, recharge my batteries. And they know they're still at their prime. They know that the market is tight. And then when they're ready, they have their three months salary to live off. They go back and they right away can get another job. So it's a very clever strategic life strategy. Now you as an employer might think, why the heck might one of my, some of my best sewers are quitting and everything else, mm-hmm. but to see it from their eyes, which then gets back to what I was saying earlier, this squeeze from the top that contributed to these 12 hour shifts or this inhumane pace of production. It's locally, it's another way of fighting over that piece of the pie. Yeah. Managers are frustrated. Workers are frustrated. Everybody's looking for survival strategies. So quitting in order to, recover and you and again yeah. I, was, I was always curious because technically technically if you're if you if you're fired for cause you don't get severance i'm how they worked it yeah. out but they did they did the other thing i want to say is something i would call political unionism you know i talked to a lot of people spent a lot of time in europe i worked a long long many many years with norwegian unionists as a as an advisor um you know, the world looks very different in, in Europe when you have very centralized unions and very strong collective bargaining agreements. You the, the action is taking place through collective bargaining agreements. 
I saw this in, in Latin America, and the and the this is if we're getting a little into a political science argument here, but if you have a model of enterprise unionism, so you have to bargain little factor by little factor by little factory in a hyper competitive mm. industry. Mm. You drive yourself nuts trying to get a little bit of wage increase because you're trying to go factory by factory, but all the others are outside the bargaining agreement. So you actually can bargain yourself out of a job because all the competitors don't face it. Where you go into Norway or Sweden or even Germany, everybody, once you have the agreement, everyone is covered by that agreement. The point is, once that happens, and if you're a strategic unionist, you're saying, I'm going to talk about burnout, burn myself out trying to go enterprise by enterprise to get a wage increase. It's just not working. So you shift your attention to the state and you shift your attention onto minimum wage increases because you can then get, to put it like this, more bang for your buck. You put all your effort into a minimum wage, which goes throughout the industry. But to do that, you need political unionism. You need to be connected to political parties and you you organize mass mobilizations, maybe depending on the country, once a year. But it, it again, the, the weak, fragmented union structure that's set up by the law pushes you into a form of political unionism. Now, depending on the political context, the fragmentation of the political system, you get into all sorts of other mm. issues. But the political fragmentation contributes to the fragmentation of unions. And lastly, I'll say also with the squeeze you're going to open up the, the door for, for this kind of the honey and everything else. I saw this in, in Latin America. Yeah. Everybody is trying to survive. And you're, it starts with your fighting over this small piece of the pie. And if the, these are all, and whether the worker who tries to get fired to get some severance to the union that's trying to figure out how to survive and pay its bills and so on, it leads to all these sorts of other things. And it gets back to the fundamental question. How do we restructure this distribution? Is another way to apply. Yeah. Who gets what when this shirt or this sweater gets sold? Who gets what? And this is a multi, multi, multi-billion-dollar industry. There is enough in this industry to ensure factory owners could have good profits and workers could have good wages, living conditions for proper hours of work. We just have to figure out how to negotiate and get get there with a bottom-up solution. I totally agree with you said these top-down solutions are not the way that's going to get us out of this. This word exhausted really strikes me because like, it's a word that Jesse and I have used often to just, because we left our jobs in the garment industry around the same time. Jesse has left the garment industry twice already, like left and come back and then left again. Um, but it, I felt when I left my job as a factory manager, and this might sound strange because obviously I was, I mean, I was working really hard, but I was well paid. You know, I had, you know, I had, I had very supportive bosses. You know, I had really, I couldn't have asked for a more supportive work environment, but I just felt exhausted. Also, I mean, the way that we do production, I think it's just, it, the only someone described used the word recently, and it's really stuck with me. Use the word extractive. It just feels so extractive, and and I felt that as a in a management position in a different way, totally than the way that workers would feel it. But I think it's interesting to point out that there's sort of this shared 
exhaustion. <laughs> There's a book that kind of also drew this question home on the on the fashion designer side. I think it's called Gods and Kings. And, and it talks about some of these famous designers, a couple of them either attempted or even committed suicide, talking about the exhaustion they were facing from the constantly, constantly mm. new new lines. Mm. And they felt like, wow, I just I'm burnt out of designing this perfect set of, you know, line of clothing. And it's fan- and it's kind of like the fashion industry saying to them, okay, great. You know, uh, you know, you did the Mona Lisa of fashion, but what have you done for me lately? And the pressure <laughs> and the shorter and shorter cycle. So even at that end for the designers, extreme burnout. Um, I mean, it's just amazing throughout this whole industry. So you could say it's linked to whatever conceptualized now is fast fashion, everything else, but everybody is getting burnt out of, of this. I, and I'll just add another point that I sort of, I think is important in this, in this picture. And I, I call it the, uh, sort of the crisis of overcapacity. And and the, that part of my story is I try to go up in this picture is looking at, you know, how with all these free trade agreements and the phase out of the multi-fiber arrangement and then China coming in and Vietnam coming in, we just started making more and more of this stuff. And mm. and when you start having that kind of level of overcapacity, the only solution then is what I would call overconsumption. So now we've got to sell more and more of this stuff. And now we've got to have shorter and shorter fashion cycles. And, and of course, then the price point is going to go down because everybody's competing to sell more and more of this stuff. And every country, too, and I'm saying we're already at overcapacity. And those that are in the development agencies and that figure out, you know, World Bank, IMF funding for export processing zones, Myanmar had a transition. Now it's going backwards very tragically. Okay, let's, they should do garments. Ethiopia has a transition. They should do garments. We just, it's like we have this one no development model that every poor country as it transitions should all simultaneously do garments and they're not achieving development. They're achieving, they, we're ending up in overcapacity and everybody is burnt. Uh, we're all facing burnout and we've got to figure out how to just sort of tone this down and turn this into a, in a sustainable in so many different ways industry for people and for planets, for all the people involved in the, in the industry. Yeah. And, and, now I have an image in my head. It's like from what, what you described, from what Ted and Kim and Mark, what you shared, it's like uh, there is a room. The space is set. It's limited. There is no way to expand the room. And then there is maybe, I don't know, 1,000 factory inside with, with 1,000 factories, with all the workers, worker unions, factory management. It's very crowded. However, everyone has to fight with each other to get the little bit of resource for each other. And now with COVID and with the new countries joining or with all what you described just now, it's not just the, the end. They input more and more factories and workers and representatives into this very limited room. So at this point, yeah. there is no way to fight against each other. The only way is everyone just join together to break the walls and to expand the space. That's probably the only way because yeah. it's, it's crowded. It's overcrowded already. So on that note, Atet, I want to ask you one last question. We've been talking a lot about what blocks factory manager trust in workers. And we need to get to the reverse question, which is what blocks worker trust in factory management. But before we go into that, my final like sort of question to you on, on the topic we're on now is, you know, what do you think that workers can or should do 
to gain factory the trust of factory management the the mindset so so we we need to have a mindset of work on the short term but like build the foundation for the long term you know for example from the union side also from from the employer side right let let i put this way like you go to negotiation you're not just looking for increasing wage you were looking for building better relationship that that is also the the what you call uh expectation and the result of the negotiation i mean this is very hard because i i, like I said is the 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 quality of the awareness from from you know i i'm also very very poor edu- educated person but so but in overall garment worker mostly they only can read and write their name you know majority of them so so when when we introduce this kind of thing it's quite very challenging to to that but let me finish my my experience or my my concept of we also work on the the short term uh, uh, benefit but build build the the long term benefit like okay you go you go there you not uh, get everything in in once right you you not get everything overnight so and 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 the the the, the long term is also like i mean like to get the trust from each other is to change the way uh you you act and the, to change the way you you think i mean like so now most of, of the worker think that uh employer is the uh, what you call like enemy right it's other side always like that so it's a long a long what you call uh long term cultures of of yeah. this this thing so so uh for me uh to 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 try to 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 pursue this this sustainability i mean it's it's linked to sustainability again right so if we if we all uh 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 pursue or, or practice this this mindset then then i believe that this is the roadmap to to sustainability i really appreciate that you said that because um like mindset it sounds like something so abstract but it's just so important and i'll just share one anecdote before we move on to what blocks worker trust in factory management but what i ended up doing in the factory that i managed was i ended up recruiting basically i stopped recruiting anyone who had ever worked in a garment factory before and started only hiring people who were from the neighborhood and the community that we were operating in and it was because of mindset right because i i felt that pe- garment factory workers like employees or potential employees who had worked in other garment factories had a particular mindset which saw me as factory management as the enemy kind of no matter what i did you know that i was i was going to fail no matter what they were going to see me as 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 the enemy and so i just started recruiting people who were not from that world and it didn't change everything but it changed a lot and our relationship really was a lot better and so okay my strategy for doing this was to recruit in a certain way but i think what i take away 
you know, before talking to you, I kind of was like, well, this was a solution that I could pursue because we were a small factory and we didn't need that many workers. A, a larger garment factory could never do that. But now after talking to you, what I kind of think is like, you know, I that what I did was basically one way of trying to achieve a certain goal, which was a shift in mindset, right? It was one strategy for doing that, which was a very easy strategy or, or a very reasonable strategy for me, given the size of the factory that we had and et cetera, et cetera. But surely there are other ways to do this that are not, you know, doing what, what I had, had done. At that, what kind of factory manager will gain your trust? Can you describe it for us? I think trust is not also a, a overnight, uh, you know, uh, you know, plan or thing. It's 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 take time. Uh, but the, the the foundation is respect, right? First, we start with respect. I think, uh, and then second part is the more uh, like the same as include inclusive, but like more a participatory process. And and another uh, point based on my experience is like sharing because because we have a few factory that that has been you know a long good relationship with us so this is this is a three point i learned from them so respect i mean there is a one general manager in 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 saprina saprina and 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 top summit uh, factory so which is I think the they employ about uh, eight thousand worker in the two factory. So so the their their respect was very genuine to me in in the in the last uh, uh, fifteen or, or seventeen years, and they always include us in in the in the discussion uh, and and you know in in the process and and the big part. To the, I mean, not not just for me, for the whole whole uh, uh, worker in the, in eight thousand or seven thousand worker. So it's it's a it's a sharing. So for us, the way the way they respect, the way they include or participate, uh, participatory introduce practice the participatory uh, 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 principle and the share is. We are very, very, to me, very surprising. Very, why the other factory cannot do that? Why this company can share more, and mm -hmm. and the other can't? So, mm -hmm. so, so then I would I throughout the time in the last fifteen years, this is the three fundamental things I learned from this collaboration. So this is, I mean. Uh, strong union in this factory. We have ninety nine percent members in this factory, and of course, from time to time, we we are very hard to control the worker. It happened even in a strong factory like this. It happened the same. Uh, what Kim was trying to explain that there was worker try to set up a union and run on strike again. The factory that give more benefit compared to other. Like like the group of you know people who manipulate who 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 play yeah. the political game like what 
what what uh, uh, Mark was mentioned like like that. But I mean, the, the idea that you 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 raise about going to politics to make worker more more respect and more better benefit, it's fine. I mean, that that is no problem. But not not going to politics to destroy politics and destroy the, the worker. I mean, it, 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 yeah. at the end, at the end, they are the, the, the group, the small group who benefit, not the not the political party. Not the worker themselves, right? So, so this is. Yeah. I mean, not only this factory. There are a few other factory that that has the same uh, kind of three three fundamental that that seek to do respect and and uh, uh, it's there. I mean, there is an example that I I keep talking to GMAC all the time, right? And GMAC is the supplier association within Cambodia. Do 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 the the supplier do not aware that the bigger pie is still on in in the hand of brand? I mean, do they understand it? But they are they are no how to say it? Uh, they don't want to bother, right? So they don't want to bother. So so I mean, uh, because what do you mean they don't want to bother? I mean, they have they they. I mean, if you compare, let let me go into very uh, concrete. If you compare the lifestyle. The income, the worker receives. I see. Yeah, you see, you see that 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 they 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 have. You mean they're comfortable enough that it's not yes. worth challenging? Yes, yes. Yeah. So 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 then they're comfortable enough now. Yes. But that's the thing that's. I mean, in the long term, probably not. Yeah, that, that's why. That's why I say, uh, do they have a long term plan? I mean, or they they want to cut and run, or they want to. To to yeah. continue this like like uh, brother Mark was talking about exhausted right yeah I have yeah. like I, I always mention I you know I, I I may be wrong but like it's gonna be killing me if I'm going from one factory to one factory negotiate in all these eight hundred or seven hundred factory so so I mm-hmm. that's why that's no way in my lifetime of the union. To achieve this, you know, so so that's why that's why I said from the beginning that this is the very you know exciting for me as the era that if we can if we can break through this you know obstacle that you I mean maybe both supplier and the union have. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured_podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.